Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of On Brand with Alf and me, Rory Sutherland. Each month, I'll be talking to household names as well as challenger brands about success, challenges and future opportunities in the advertising, marketing and media industries. And today, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Tim Keaveney, the co-founder of Home Things, a company offering sustainable household cleaning products delivered direct to your door. The company's already received numerous accolades, notably securing a quarter of a million pounds of advertising support as a winner in Sky's Zero Footprint Fund, and also being named Startup of the Year at the Grocer Gold Awards in 2022. Tim and his co-founder Matthew Aubrey also appeared on Dragon's Den, earning praise from all the dragons, pretty rare, I have to say, and uh, walking away with investment from both Deborah Meaden and Peter Jones. So I'm delighted to find out more about this brand, Home Things, and its plans going forward. So, Tim, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on. I understand, like many people who do something really worthwhile and important, you worked in banking beforehand, he said mischievously. And I've noticed this phenomenon partly where people who work in banking, it isn't only an altruism thing. I'm not suggesting, by the way, that banking can't be socially valuable. But I also suspect, uh, noticing the number of ex-bankers who buy vineyards or start breweries, there's also something about having a tangible product rather than purely dealing in intangibles that is also a bit of an appeal. But you worked in banking with FMCG companies and decided you wanted to be on the other side of the table. Is that right? Exactly that, yeah. I mean, I do listen to this podcast, and I have heard you have a few other uh, people on you've kindly called recovering bankers, and I, I guess I'm in that same bracket. Um, but yeah, I think for me, it was a mix of you know both wanting to do something where I felt it had more purpose and more impact. But also, as you rightly say, I work with a lot of big retailers and also with a lot of fast-growing FMCG retail brands. And so for me, I always wanted to be on the other side of the fence when it came to, you know, sitting across the table from these people and listening to their stories and, you know, sort of being inspired by what they've gone on to do. I always knew that I wanted to be on the other side of that fence. But again, for me, I wanted it to be something where I felt it had real impact and could really make a difference in the world. Was method a bit of an inspiration to you in the idea that it could be possible? Because I suppose you had this category, which was overwhelmingly dominated by two behemoths in Procter & Gamble and Unilever, which is the whole home care category. 
I suppose you've also got to include Reckitt as well, haven't you? Reckitt Ben Kaiser. But you had this kind of, you know, monster things. And Method did show, although it's now, I think, bought by S.C. Johnson, Method did show that you could break through, you could get distribution. It wasn't impossible to actually, um, you know, come in from left field. Was that a part inspiration for you? Yeah, I think exactly. And I think the other thing to Method and Eco are actually both the same company bought by S.C. Johnson now. But I think... The other thing that they've uh, sort of really changed in the category is that whole perception that green or eco can't be as efficacious as other products. And they've actually done a lot of the heavy lifting for challenges like us that are coming after them to go on and change the category again. And, you know, so whilst I see them as part of the status quo and the problem as exists in our industry today, I do recognize they've done a lot of the heavy lifting to sort of shift that consumer perception over the last 15, 20 years. Yeah, because I always thought that Ecova's branding, or actually more precisely their packaging, was a fundamental mistake because it kind of contained within it almost an admission of compromise. That in other words, there's always this trade-off and don't expect bright colours, elegant design, or indeed efficacy if you're saving the planet. You know, your kitchen is going to look like something a bit like Warsaw 1968 <laughs> in terms of the packaging. And, and it's very interesting because it's a fundamental behavioural challenge to be overcome, which is the automatic idea that there must be a trade-off and that therefore... If something is lower in fat, it's not going to taste as good. If something is kinder to the environment, it's simply not going to be very effective. And one or two of those products, I'm going to be slightly cheeky here, but one of those, one or two of those Ecova products, I think it might have been the dishwasher tablets, were actually markedly ineffectual. And I always thought that was doing enormous damage to the potential growth of the category, simply because it was just reinforcing this idea that, yeah, you can have one, but you can't do both. Yeah, 100%. I, you, you know, I think we recognize that coming into the categories outsiders. There's a couple of quotes that we kind of live and die by at home things. One of them is the founder of Innocent, Richard Reed, said, don't ever expect your customers to purchase your product purely because it's ethical at the expense of taste or performance. And for me, that goes to the heart of all of this, right? The ethics and the sustainability of our brand is a layer to the brand, but the hygiene factor, the table stakes for us to play in the category are that we have to do what it says on the tin. So that kind of efficacy and performance has to be there. I was thinking of it the other day and thinking that purpose, you know, what you might call some sort of altruistic or high-minded purpose, isn't a reason to buy in and of itself. You need the product efficacy to buy. It is a reason to change. Do you see what I mean? In other words, if you want consumers to break their habit or just to break with a, you know, an established social norm, that component of the marketing message isn't sufficient on its own, but it is a story which makes me think, I suppose Tesla being the most extreme case where you know, there's certainly no compromise in terms of performance. It, it obviously saves you money. There are totally selfish reasons to buy a Tesla. And you can't expect altruism on its own to do the, all the work, but it can perform what you might call a supporting role in going, maybe it's time I try this instead. Absolutely, yeah. I think it's the element that almost builds the brand love into things. And I know you had uh, Tony's Chocolonely on the podcast a few weeks ago, and I think they're an amazing example of this because, in my opinion, nobody's going to buy chocolate just because it's slave-free chocolate. But actually, it builds that brand love and it builds that reason to keep it back to Tony's. But what they've nailed as well is they've got incredible packaging, incredible design. Yes. Um, and the chocolate's bloody great as well, quite frankly. So they've, they've nailed that whole kind of mix for the consumer. 
And if I may say so, you've also stumbled on another work of genius, which is that in reducing packaging and reducing distribution costs, and in your case, of course, fitting through a letterbox, okay, which is not irrelevant, um, one of the things we in, in my behavioral science practice fairly early stumbled on was that concentrates don't work, but concentrates that you dilute do. And so oddly, I mean, funnily enough, we actually found validation of this with another client, which is we said, look, if you've got a floor polish, okay, merely using less of it doesn't convince. But weirdly, even if slightly gratuitously, you get the person to actually dilute it themselves, therefore restoring the original volume. Somehow that penetrates into credibility in a way that simply using less doesn't. It's very difficult for us to get our head around the idea that you know a lower quantity can be as good. And so weirdly, the strange sort of trick of dilution, say, of self-dilution solves that problem. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it, it's super interesting. There is, I guess, a consumer perception um, at the same time around when you actually see the amount of water that goes into these products, it puts us a little bit on the back foot from a mainstream consumer perspective because there is almost this perception that gosh, there's that much water in this. It can't work as well as my store-bought water-based product. And actually, that's just not the case, you know. Um, and and that, that's kind of the whole kind of issue awareness that we're bringing into the category that a typical bottle of household cleaner is at least 90% water packed in single-use plastic. And, you know, it's interesting that you pick up on the distribution piece as well because we did a bit of analysis on this as well. And we looked at, you know, if you take a method or an eco how many sprays could you fit on a single delivery truck of that product and it was about twelve thousand. if you take home things um effervescent tablets you can fit about two hundred and forty-two thousand of them on a delivery truck right so um that idea of condensing into concentrates i think you can see the impact there across the whole supply chain from not shipping water around the planet and there's a simple storage benefit for the consumer. I'm not saying you can sell on that basis, but I think it probably helps keep people loyal simply because that, you know, that underneath the sink space just becomes a, a bit more tolerable. But in your case, in your case, it was part, obviously it's driven by distribution costs, also driven, I guess, by the size of the British letterbox. Yeah, I mean, it, exactly. So so we kind of think of how we're disrupting the category through three lenses. One is the product innovation. Um, you know, if you look at the category, it hasn't really moved on for many decades. The second is the value chain disruption because of the product innovation, i.e. we want to be in retail, but we don't have to be. We can also ship through the letterbox because we're so lightweight and we're so uh, sort of cheap to ship. I can send three of my sprays to a customer or six for the price of a thank you card. God bless Royal Mail. Um, and uh, the third piece is also the brand disruption. So we want to bring something very different from a brand point of view um, into the category, which again speaks to, you know, sort of the stuff we were touching upon earlier around purpose. And uh, it's very interesting because, I mean, ultimately you will need ma mainstream retail distribution, but the, uh, of course the benefits of the product and the benefits of distribution still apply, you know, slightly less perhaps, but no, 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 they still apply emphatically in that case. Um, if you're shipping to a central warehouse, the value per journey really, really matters. And you can absolutely trounce the uh, uh, the people who are effectively shunting water around the country. Absolutely, yeah. And, and you know, let's not forget, all these retailers have big climate objectives of their own that they've committed to shareholders and stakeholders, right? So um, this is becoming an increasingly big part of 
you know, their concern when they're listing new suppliers. So retail is absolutely a big part of our journey. I think, you know, we've always said we want to be where the customer's shopping for us. And for home care, it, it is still 90% offline. So whilst we see an opportunity to shift some of that offline spend online through the convenience of direct consumer, we still need to be in those retail channels to cross the Rubicon to become a mass market brand. Of your own customers, do some online customers also buy through, say, Amazon and other? Uh, do, do you sell through Amazon or not? We do, yeah. So Amazon's been a huge growth channel for us. We also are in retail. We're distributed nationwide with Waitrose, which is our first listing. Yes, I noticed that. Yeah. Yeah. So again, it's part of our strategy to be wherever the customer is shopping for us. And I think, again, there, there are a lot of ethical brands who you know might decide they don't want to be on Amazon for whatever reason. But for us, again, when you look at the number of prime subscribers and the, the role that Amazon plays in consumers' lives today... You know, to make an impact on the industry, as I say, we have to be where consumers are shopping for us. And it, Amazon it absolutely has to be part of that next, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I think it is the beast in the room, but I'm not sure you can avoid it. There's something I think they can do, by the way, which I think is also a potential um, tailwind. Uh, and I don't quite understand why Amazon doesn't do this more, which is plugging locker-based delivery. Because I think for things like subscriptions in particular, there are about five features of lockers which seem to be really important, one of which is just in terms of simple carbon footprint and in terms of complexity, delivering, let's say, to 20,000 nationwide lockers, which would sort of reasonably cover the country, okay? It would at least cover the car-using country, if not central London. Yeah. Okay. Um the advantages are, one, it's inordinately easier to distribute to 22,000 lockers than 22 million homes. You don't have the problem of the remote farmhouse, which takes a van out of action for 40 minutes. The other things are that you can probably deliver um, uh, much more easily in electronic vehicles because the distance is covered and less. But the other great thing is you can deliver earlier in the morning and later at night. You can't really deliver to residential areas at, you know, one in the morning, 11 at night, five in the morning. But actually, a petrol station locker, almost by definition, you can drive up to at any time and, you know, the, the neighbors aren't going to complain. And it strikes me as odd that Amazon quite easily could, I would have thought, reduce its carbon footprint and reduce its costs by nudging people much more heavily to use this uh, mode of collection. And yet, for whatever reason, they don't. It's actually, you know, it actually involves kind of an extra stage of work to choose locker delivery on checkout. But for products like yours, which are kind of like generally, I suppose, one, you could deliver them faster with a locker because conceivably you could have albeit very late same day delivery. Also, there, you know, um, this problem, I, I mean, I was talking to someone at Gillette about the whole question of home delivery. And they said, look, the problem with this issue is that ultimately, uh, once home delivery reaches a certain ceiling, your drive turns into a distribution hub, you know, um, uh, and actually it's impossible to take a bath without someone basically ringing on your doorbell. And there is a there is a kind of threshold beyond which I suspect people won't go. And so for more routine purchases, the locker thing strikes me as a bit of a gift. And yet Amazon annoyingly haven't yet really plugged it. Yeah, it's, it's quite a strange one. I completely agree with you that it would uh, make a lot of sense. I think, you know, Amazon as an organization is obviously laser focused on that convenience for the consumer. And so I guess that's kind of a bit of a challenge if you're trying to get consumers to go out of their way to pick up a parcel. But 
again, for us, when we think about our direct consumer um, subscriptions business, convenience is a massive part of the focus for us in terms of trying to shift yes. habit. And that's why it worked so nicely for our products to go through the letterbox for consumers. And, you know, our entire focus there is trying to get the frequency of redelivery right so that the product drops through the consumer's letterbox just at the right time when they need that refill for their dishwasher tabs or for their laundry product or for their cleaning sprays. Not a month before and not a month after. It's, it's about getting that frequency banged on so that the convenience to the customer is enhanced. Is there a way you can use the text message uh, with that? where you send them a text and it basically goes, you're due another consignment. Do you want them now, one week, two weeks, hold? Exactly. So we do do that with SMS. You get an automated message three days before your subscription's due and you can kick it back or just ignore the message and you'll get your, your order. So yeah, I mean, I think that is the number one reason for subscriptions to churn is that the the frequency is wrong and people... You know, the whole point of subscriptions, as I say, is you're trying to make your customers' lives more convenient. When it becomes, you know, extra competitive load, that's when it becomes an issue for the consumer. Yeah, I think I, I, mean, I, I basically got the whole business of razor subscriptions wrong. And I now have a kind of medicine cabinet in my bathroom, which looks like I'm kind of, you know, a doomsday prepper, practically. Uh, I'll be able to shave long into the apocalypse, put it that way. Um, and, uh, and so, I mean, I, I find this very interesting because I think, I mean, one of the other advantages of lockers, by the way, is if you do make a mistake, you leave the damn thing in the locker and three days later they collect it and take it away and you get a refund without having to do any returns. So there's also a kind of, you know, not that that's something you want customers to do, but then knowing they can do it is also probably another, it, it clears another obstacle to subscriptions. Yeah. Definitely. Who do you see as your target audience principally? I mean, obviously, you know, they will be to some extent environmentally aware, but that's not even that's not even a prerequisite after all. I mean, you know, one of the worst mistakes I think that was made with environmentally friendly products was the people thinking that everybody was exactly like them and therefore targeting them at the most militant and fanatical of environmentalists only discover there aren't that many of those people. Yeah, exactly. So so we actually use the split that Kantar make in UK consumers and they basically bucket UK consumers into three groups. One is eco-actives, one is eco-considerers and the other is eco-dismissers. So we see as our kind of low-hanging fruit the eco-active consumers and according to Kantar data, that's about 24% of the UK market now, forecast to grow to about 60%. I'd say I think they're overestimating it a bit. But yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know, I, I use yeah. Kantar as my uh, my kind of, you know, fail-safe option. But so so the eco-active consumers are the ones who are actively making swaps in their daily lives. They might be eating more plant-based diet. But again, their number one concern is reducing their use of single-use plastic. So for us, it's more of a psychographic than anything. It's kind of a mindset in the consumer that we're trying to tap into. And I think we've definitely seen that we've kind of hit those early adopters. And for us now, it's about how do we start to extend our reach beyond the early adopters and into sort of more mainstream consumers? Yeah, I think I think that is interesting because I think the percentage of people who, certainly as you spotted, the percentage of people who will actually sacrifice efficacy for uh, warm clothes, it, well, it's not to be relied on, put it that way. I think that's probably fair. Uh, so tell me a little bit about your innovation in terms of the actual, as you said, you, you're partly disrupting through simply providing a superior product. What is it in your dishwasher tablets, your laundry pods and so forth, without giving away trade secrets, 
Uh, where do you innovate there in terms of making sure the efficacy is maintained? So we kind of see our product range in two different uh, through two different lenses. One is our kind of hero products, which are our real kind of boundary pushing innovations. And they are really in the cleaning spray space where we've got effervescent tablets that you add to tap water at home and you can just keep on refilling the same bottle. But by the way, by the way, do they fizz? I haven't yet bought them. Do they fizz in a really exciting, perfectly enjoyable way? They do. They do. They have that Barocca effect. So Perfect. Two of the simplest tricks, okay? I mean, by the way, merely putting flex in washing powder makes people believe it's more effective. If there are two visible components or three, rather than the thing being uniform in color, people will automatically assume it's more efficacious. But but fizzing stuff, I mean, I unblock my drains even when they're not blocked, if you've got one of those things, you know. Um, and the other, one, the other one, which Reader's Digest discovered back in the 60s, is asking people to put stickers on things, which people will do even if they don't want the product for the sheer pleasure of, uh, of doing it. We should yeah. maybe tap into those a little bit more. But yeah, we I do, mean- definitely. If you, if you can find a way of using stickers and effervescence, you 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 will absolutely trounce every all your competition. I promise you. Yeah. So so yeah. We, I mean, interestingly enough, it's it's one of the reasons why we've kept all our bottles transparent because we get a lot of feedback from consumers, particularly consumers with young children. Then they actually enjoy the theatre of using the products and talking to their children about sustainability and, and environment and things as they're using our effervescence. So, I think actually that element of theatre you picked up on there is, is a really important part of the innovation for us. Uh, but it's, it's, it's important to say as well that it's not uh, theatre for the sake of theatre. It is because this product works in this context for, you know, this industry. No, and actually, you know, effervescence as a solution to concentrate strikes me as actually, you know, a million dollar insight emphatically because it is, you know, it's not something people necessarily tell you in research unless they've had a few drinks. But adding that kind of uh, Barocca effect, as you quite rightly call it, to anything is just that little element of reward. Just as, I mean, back in the day, okay, cigarettes were an addictive substance, but it didn't hurt that opening a new packet was a supremely enjoyable thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I think um, that is a really important insight as well, because as a brand, we've always said we don't want to be virtuous or preachy or, you know, sort of really... You know, you picked up on it there, appealed to that hardcore eco-customer. We want to sort of... There is, there is, by the way, I think a freak customer who is deliberately hair-shirted, okay? By which I mean, I mean, you know, that they actually almost welcome, you know, inferior efficacy as the price you pay. It, it is equivalent to that, what is it, self-mortification that religious groups used to do where they, you know, wear things with spikes on them. They do exist, but I don't think they're numerous enough to build a market around generally, or not yet anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We, I mean, we always say nobody wants to clean their toilet twice at home things, you no. know. So um, I, I think that is a really important element. But at the same time, you know, we don't need to be super kind of virtuous in our approach to the impact that we have and the sustainability. We can have fun with it. We can, you know, make that process of refilling enjoyable for people. Um, and I think that's why effervescence works so well, right? You know, you've got, and none of these sort of zero waste independent shops popping up that are doing amazing work. Um, but in the home care space, they're asking people to collect all their bottles up, walk them down to the local store, fill them up with the liquid and walk all that heavy liquid back home in order to keep refilling the same bottle. I think the genius of effervescence is that the consumer can do all of that from home with their tap. Yeah. 
we have the miracle of water to the premises. It's kind of absurd that we uh, do everything we can to avoid using it. Absolutely right. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Absolutely. Uh, so, uh, as I mentioned in the introduction, you're one of the winners of Sky's Zero Footprint Fund last year, uh, which I think gives you £250,000 worth of presumably Sky media spend. Yes. What are your plans for that? Yeah, so we're super excited about this. Obviously, we're a young challenger brand in the category. So to have the opportunity to get our message out there and educate consumers on TV is a huge thing for us. So we've been working really hard to create our first ever TV campaign, which has been a huge learning curve for me with the joys of things like ClearCast. But that campaign will be going out around Spring Clean and it's all focused around our message of just add tap. So exactly what we were just speaking about in terms of we've got a tap at home, there's you know, products out there that allow you to refill at home and just really trying to land that message and educate consumers about why we're here and why we exist. And currently, do you think you can get this to secure your distribution maybe with one other multiple? Is that a hope? Yeah, I, I think absolutely. You know, we've um, when we talk about ambition, we have always wanted to be, we're an impact-led and a purpose-led brand and we've always wanted to be a mass market brand for that reason because, you know, I've always believed that if we're a super premium brand that, you know, only the top 1% of consumers can afford, then we're not an impact brand. We're not a purpose-led brand. We have to be mass market distributed and mass market affordable. Um, so that is absolutely the hope for us. We're, you know, our mission is to change the way the world cleans and we need to get that distribution in order to, you know, help on that mission. I imagine the 250000 is sky specific, but you're spending money elsewhere as, on top. Is that right? Yeah, so we, we want to create a kind of through-the-line campaign for 
you know, the TV ads are a wraparound that includes some out-of-home spend, but also some sort of organic social stuff that we're going to be doing across TikTok and LinkedIn. TikTok's a platform that we've had really good cut-through in. So just trying to create a whole wraparound and create as much reach and excitement as possible when that campaign goes live. And we will also be doing a few in the classic sort of challenger brand way, a few sort of more guerrilla type activations as well around it. Oh, fantastic. We'll uh, watch this space. What date does the campaign break? TBC at the moment, but we're aiming for spring clean, around spring clean time. Makes perfect sense. Top two challenges brought to you by Alf Insight. Alf Insight helps media owners, agencies and marketing service providers improve their new business pipelines by equipping them with in-depth insights, accurate information and daily news updates on the leading and challenger brands in the UK. Alf now also helps sports clubs, venues and charities with new partnership deals. Alf Insight identifies the brands to target at the right time, providing everything you need to tailor the perfect pitch. Visit Alf Insight, that's alfinsight.com, or click the link in the episode description to find out more. So what would you say is, first of all, the biggest challenge for home things at the moment? And what's the biggest challenge for the home care sector in general? So it's both at the brand level and the category level, if you like. What do you see as the big two, the things that keep you awake? Oh, gosh, it's a good question. Um, I think, you know, now our challenges are, big challenges are more related either to growing pains in the sense of keeping in stock, managing working capital, etc. Or I think much more interestingly, it's the category challenges of, you know, how do we educate consumers? How do we land that message that they can refill with tap water at home? How do we start to shift habits, you know, getting people picking up a tablet when they're in the supermarket rather than that bottle of single-use plastic? And also to everything we were talking about before, how do we challenge those ingrained perceptions that this tiny tablet that you dilute will work just as well, if not better, than the brand you were shopping with before? So those kind of category-led challenges, I think, are the big ones for us, as I say, in crossing that chasm and becoming a mainstream brand. And then the category level, just home care in general? Yeah, I mean, I... We'll probably talk to something here that's uh, a little bit self-serving in a sense, but I think one of the things that really grinds my gears at the moment is we're seeing, you know, the big brands obviously know that sustainability perceptions and uh, ethical perceptions of consumers are a tidal wave that isn't going to change anytime soon. And so what we're seeing is this kind of relentless rise in greenwashing claims or eco claims that are coming onto packs, you know, big brands, mainstream brands. They're not uh, launching new eco SKUs or new eco brands. They're putting eco claims onto their uh, their sort of mainstream brands. And for me, that's an issue because it will hold back progress in the category. They're not doing the hard work of actually looking at how they evolve their product portfolios and, you know, sort of educating consumers about how their product portfolios need to change. And so in my opinion, that's leading to a lot of potential banana skins for the whole category in terms of consumer confusion. Uh, skepticism and inertia when it comes to ethical and sustainable products in the category. And actually, just to illustrate that, again, there's some Kantar data that shows that 53% of these eco-active consumers believe that sustainability claims are just marketing um, and that all companies only care about profits. So that kind of, I think the threat of consumer skepticism and confusion through greenwashing is a massive potential banana skin in our category. I mean, in defense of the big players, they would like to reduce packaging and 
distribution costs every bit as much as you would. They are faced with a problem which is specific to supermarket sales, which is just facings and prominence on the shelf. Yeah. And that very, very strong, no one's actually thinking number of washes, really, when they buy. They're thinking, how big is this thing? And so the whole business of creating concentrates, um, when 90% of your sales or more are going through uh, a supermarket shelf where size is the easy comparison, really, not value. Yeah. I mean, they could both agree, I suppose, to shrink packaging. You know, the competitors in a, in a field could all agree collectively and simultaneously to reduce just the size of the thing they sell and adopt the kind of approach you have. But they've so far proved unable to do this. Yeah. And look, I think that's what challenges are for in these kind of industries is to put the pressure on these big brands to actually do the hard work and make some of these changges. And to illustrate that, you know, um, our dishwasher tabs that are selling really well in Waitrose, we sell a 40 pack of dishwasher tabs that's smaller. The box is smaller than Ecovis 22 pack, right? Yeah. And that's just because we've used the box and we filled it. <laughs> you know, it's not a box that's bigger for the sake of having a facing on shelf. Um, and then it's two thirds or, you know, a third empty. We've just, by virtue of our brand values, done what we think is the right thing. Use a box that fits the number of tabs um, and it's full on shelf. If you, if you think about it, finish of adopted packaging, which doesn't tessellate, which doesn't stack, basically to make the package look big. Yeah. You know, and, and actually, you know, there are huge kind of problems with this, which is just the, the cognitive fluency of that's the big one, that's the small one. Yeah. And so there's always the risk that Ecova are probably doing this deliberately because they just realize that um, uh, you get dwarfed by your competition if you're not careful. Yeah. Um, I, I'm funny enough, moist lavatory paper, I think, suffers from a similar problem, if you think about it. It's obviously more efficacious. But, uh, you know, compared to a nine pack of dry rolls, it looks pretty small. Yeah, no, absolutely. But as I say, I think that's what challenges are here to do. It's to um, sort of do the hard things in the category that actually move the needle. And I think that's why it's important, by the way, they don't adopt that kind of ecover self-sacrifice message, because I think you're doing a disservice to the whole business of disruption. If you, you know, it's rather like those early electric cars with a range of 20 miles and a top speed of 30 miles an hour. They were actually doing a massive disservice to the idea of electrification by going in with something which was, you know, absolutely you know, kind of apologetic in a sense. Yeah. Um, no, you've had pretty good success. We've had tremendous success, actually, over the past couple of years. What's your, your vision for how things in 2023 and beyond? Presumably it's expansion into... Uh, more retail channels following the good Byron Sharp, Mark Ritson principle that effectively, you know, physical availability just matters. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, we we do also really believe in that um, sort of halo effect of retail back into your other channels as well. But I think for us, you know, as I say, the mission is to change the way the world cleans. So we absolutely want to make tap water refills ubiquitous. Um, and for us, that is about being where the consumers are shopping for this. So it really does mean that we need that distribution. We need supermarkets to buy into what we're doing. And we need the education of consumers to start shopping into these kinds of formats. And I think also, you know, to your point around Ecover and, and the brand kind of things, we do absolutely want to be a beloved brand. You know, when I look at some of the brands in the category, like Fairy, for example, that have been in homes for generations, you know, apparently they're uh, household penetration of fairy in the UK is something like 60%. It's, you know, it's absolutely astonishing. 
I think I think Colgate's the only brand that beats that, possibly. Perhaps. I think Colgate's something like eighty. Yeah, it's it's extraordinary. Uh, but yeah, it's sixty percent. I also love the fact that the sales of fairy liquid also go up at Christmas, not only because uh, people are obviously washing up a bit more, but also because they have guests in the house and don't want to appear to be skimping with anything else. Yeah, absolutely. Or maybe they're uh, refilling their sherry bottles with something uh, uh, supermarket. Yeah, well, exactly. Back. Yes. Um, but that, that's absolutely the kind of beloved brand that we want to be and the kind of penetration that we want to have. And I think, you know, when you look at the statistics around the tailwind of consumer perception when it comes to eco and sustainability, I think we've got a massive opportunity ahead for us to do that. I also like, I mean, the branding of home things being the overarching brand, but then the, the, the subcategories are, if I'm right, laundry things, for example, you have... Uh... What are the dishwasher tablets? Are they are they dishwasher things? Yeah, no, we call them dish things, and then we've dish got things. Uh, all things bath things and shiny things that are our all-purpose bathroom and you know sort of glass mirror and sort of hob spray. Um, so yeah, I mean, again, the the brand name was picked for that reason in the sense of you know when you look in the big brands, they tend to have a finish in one subcategory and a you know a personal in another subcategory, and actually we wanted to create this kind of brand that you know, overarch the category and we could have that, you know, full cross-category penetration for the brand. Yeah, and that, that was another case, I suppose, Method sort of pioneered that, didn't they? And that, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That they had one one brand across multiple home care categories. Yeah, and now you'll see Method trying to do that across personal care as well. And I think that's uh, another challenge altogether when you're trying to go out of your swimming lane and go into another category altogether. Yeah, is that... Is that a stretch too far? Very interesting. Well, for me, I think I've always said that Home Things is going to stay in its swimming lane as a home care brand because I find it a leap too far for the consumer to wipe their services with the same brand that they're, you know, sort of lathering on themselves in the shower. Yeah, interesting. Although, I mean, you know, life is full of surprises. You, you know, um, uh, you know, a lot of things have never been tried because they've never been tried, and by definition, there's then no precedent. But no, I, 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 I can kind of see that. If you were to get into personal care, you'd, you'd probably do something slightly different or fresh. Yeah, I mean, if any brand can do it, it's probably Method. You can because, you know, they've got, uh, they do have some great brand equity. But for me, I think we, we're, we're super focused on the opportunity ahead in home care. Any other, without giving away again secrets, any other, I mean, w- within the home care category, are you planning to launch anything else? Yeah, so... I think innovation is a huge part of our DNA as a brand. And so, you know, we do want to be that brand that is pushing the boundaries when it comes to innovative formats and bringing in innovative formats to market. So last year we launched in conjunction with Innovate UK, the UK's first powder to gel washing up liquid. So that again is a tap water refillable washing up liquid where you pour the powder into your tap water, give it a mix. And, you know, within a couple of minutes, it becomes this nice viscous gel that you can use for your dishwashing liquid. So we're working on a a bunch of different innovations across the category and, you know, we're excited to... Weirdly, the effort effort involved may actually contribute to the perceived efficacy. It's the thing called the labour illusion, most famously captured in marketing with just add an egg for Betty Crocker, which is requiring the person to add the egg effectively made them feel they were a contributor to the, the process. Yeah, um, the idea effect. Yeah, exactly that. Yes, exactly. Which is you, you value the furniture, and also, also sometimes it can be a useful way of of uh, uh, of if you're discounting or if you are undercutting on price, 
it's a believable and non-sacrificial reason for you to believe that you've saved money without actually... It's rather pick your own strawberries is a very different message from cheap strawberries. Yeah, absolutely. In the sense that you go, okay, I can do the calculus here. This doesn't mean I'm compromising on the quality of strawberries. It just means I'm putting in a little bit of work myself. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and there, are, there are whole obstacles here, because I must admit, as a consumer, things like distribution, cost, and, and packaging, uh, at the scale at which you know these businesses operate, they're just not very salient to consumers at the moment, particularly not, you know, I think, distribution costs. They think things appear in these supermarkets basically by magic. And so... Um, you know, a greater level of awareness around that would be really worthwhile because of all the, you know, of all the areas in what you might call ethical consumer products, that's the one that consumers probably think about least, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, that's why we're trying to do a lot of work to educate people that, you know, some of these everyday products that you use are 90% water and there are better solutions out there for you to, uh, you know, use your tap at home and, and refill the same bottle. So, Again, I think that's the role that Challenge has taken a category. It's trying to disrupt the status quo and, and ruffle a few feathers and, and move things on. And do you deliberately use Royal Mail in part because of the carbon footprint in the sense that the postman is going there already? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that's uh, one of the key reasons we use Royal Mail um, is that idea that, you know, the postman is already visiting most of these houses on a daily or weekly basis anyway. So I think that's a key part of why we use raw mail for the direct consumer. Well, this has been absolutely fantastic. Um, Tim, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to On Brand with Alf and Rory Sutherland. If you want to do business with Home Things or any other brand featured in the home care sector, contact the Alf Insights team on their website, which is www.alfinsight.com. That's www.alf.com. I-N-S-I-G-H-T dot com. Uh, you can also find the link in the episode description. The series, as ever, is produced and brilliantly edited by Ultimate Sound and Vision. So big hat tip and high five to them. And to make sure you receive the next episode and to generally tweak algorithms in our favor, please do subscribe and better still, give us a like as well. So all I can say is thanks for listening and um, can't wait to meet next time. Thank you very much. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.